do I'll do this, then then wind up because I need to get a coffee and go to work. <laughs> uh. So welcome back to the Cairo London podcast. It's Craig McLean here again with uh, this morning. You've just heard him. Yep, he stopped halfway through our recording. Dr. Michael Bloom. He is in Melbourne. He runs Happy Chiropractic, and he was on his morning commute, and we used a bit of technology to be able to record things in a fairly good fashion, so it sounds pretty good, where he was driving for 45 minutes, and I was just chatting to him idly about what we've been up to for the last 30 years. So we studied together back in Melbourne in 1990 to 95. Uh, Literally in February this year, we got together for our 25-year graduation anniversary. So that was cool to get 50 of the guys back together. But look, we kind of got into some more in-depth stuff that we never really talk about, even though he's my best man at a wedding. We've never really sort of spoken much about um, what it is to be a great chiropractor, what it means to care for people like in, in a unique way and how many practitioners of any profession don't do a great job of it. Uh, I thought we were going to get into a fairly in-depth philosophical conversation about chiropractic and the philosophy behind it, but we ended up speaking more about how we can just care for people better. So maybe it's appropriate that it's done at these times uh, when Melbourne's still in a crazy curfew where they can't leave the house uh, between 8 p.m. at night and 5 a.m. and pretty much all but essential travel is not permitted. Thankfully, people can still attend to the chiropractor because they're still allowing people to travel for health uh, appointments. But anyway, look, hope you enjoy the conversation. A couple of old mates having a chat as we, well, he drives to, to work. So, there's plenty for the new Cairo, there's plenty for the experienced Cairo, and any practitioner, really. So sit back, have a listen, hope you enjoy. Michael Bloom, welcome to the Cairo London podcast. We have been testing the technology to its absolute limits today because you are where exactly? I'm driving in Melbourne, Australia. <laughs> I'm on the sofa at uh, nearly 10 o'clock at night uh, in London, the UK, and I thought we'd try a little bit of um, remote podcast software to see if it works. So how's it going for you so far? Well, I can hear you pretty well, um, very well, in fact, and uh, so far so good. Now, whatever you do, do not crash your car as you do this. I'm not sure if this is legally allowed, especially in uh, these crazy times, but uh, anyway. Well, not much is allowed in Melbourne at the moment, so I'm sure this isn't allowed. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah, I, I, I think the list of what is allowed is shorter than the list of what isn't allowed by a significant amount. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure this is basically a phone conversation that's just being recorded, but uh, anyway, and we've done it millions of times before. But for the listeners that do not know, because we have thousands of them, um, you and sure. I have quite a history uh, together uh, going all the way back to, well, Ballarat, I guess, where we happened to go to school in the same city in country Victoria in the 80s. Mm-hmm. We did. We not, were at different schools, didn't know each other at school. Um, no. But, yeah, you're right. It's in a relatively small 
small uh, part of country Victoria. I was a boarder at the school because I was living, parents were living in the country, or sort of in the country, and uh, you were from Ballarat, but we didn't know each other until we met in the big smoke of Melbourne at first year at university in 1990. 1990, 30 years ago, crying out loud. Anyway. Feels like yesterday. I definitely feel like I'm still 20. You don't look 20. Occasionally. No, no, I look look 19. Yeah, not that I can talk with my new upside-down look, which uh, I don't know if you've spotted, but I'm... uh, Oh, no hair, on the no, no hair on the head, but a big beard? Is that what you're... Big thinking? ginger beard, yeah. I hadn't seen it, but, uh, yeah, your description painted the picture. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, mate, look, uh, you... Before, uh, we're, we're, down, we're, down, we're down to 20, view, 20 listeners from the 1,000 based on that introduction. <laughs> Without a doubt. Uh, but look, it, it's a, definitely appropriate that you join in on the fun and games of here. And I'm obviously become a little bit addicted, fascinated with this whole sort of chatting to people over the medium of the airway. I've obviously been on a few of these Instagram things, but I figured it would not be a, a wise thing to do while driving a car would be to video yourself doing it. Um, well, absolutely, yeah. especially in light of the fact that I've deleted Instagram from my life. Have you really? I have. You would you would think that when you're in the strictest of lockdowns that you would uh, you know, you'd be on your phone and you'd want to just seek some outside world through Instagram. But uh, I actually decided I, I don't know for strange reasons. Not sure. I went the opposite direction. I'm no longer on. Uh, I have not All my accounts are there, but I'm not on it. So um, yeah. So are you still doing your business one or are you even sort of – Yes. Just oh, yeah, pre- yeah, yeah. The business, the, business, the business one is going consistently. However, I don't personally uh, touch it. I have someone who does it for me other than I create some content on a regular basis by videoing, uh, be, uh, filming myself or having someone film me with some tips and bits and pieces, but I don't do any of the – posting or writing their blurbs or intros or I wouldn't even know how many followers we have in our business on our Instagram at the moment, but yeah. Yeah. Mate, you know I did the same thing when I was down in Cornwall those two weeks. In Cornwall, I literally was like, or I'd been analysing the fact that my um, usage had gone up by like two hours a day in lockdown life and – you know, oh, by, I thought that you. I thought you had to do it because you're getting a sore shoulder from holding the selfie stick up so much. <laughs> <laughs> On the bike, or oh, any, you just had like uh, a re- repetitive strain injury from um, videoing yourself <laughs> over the years so many times that it's like I've got to have a break because my shoulders back in the Yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Left him, not left him uh, speechless. I, no, but look, mate, I reckon it's definitely a very good thing to do with lockdown life is to actually get rid of that sort of stuff because you end up just filling in the days with, um, you know, with, with stuff you don't need, eh? So, um, well, you do, yeah. but I, I mean, I, 
my, my uh, reason for giving it up is I was feeling some anxiety build within me in a general sense um, in that period of time where I made the decision. I was just feeling some anxiety. It wasn't a, uh, the anxiety was about not not feeling like I could see the end of oh, just basically feeling hemmed in, couldn't go anywhere, couldn't like the cha- was coming in and around my birthday. We planned a trip to Europe this year, wasn't clearly happening. And I just started to feel anxiety in a general sense. And I think it was primarily from a feeling of, oh, when are we going to actually just be able to have a few of the freedoms you become so used to back? And uh, then I just made the assumption that probably looking at everyone else's life and everyone only posting stuff that makes their life look awesome on Instagram wasn't really helping my state of mind. So uh, I was like, I'm out of there. I don't need to look at other people uh, uh, boasting about their awesome life. Well, about the 10% of their life that's awesome. Um, and so I just got rid of it. <laughs> Summarised nicely there by the fact that, yeah, you literally do not do – you don't post all the, the rubbish stuff, do you? You only sort of post the – the, the no, stuff the rubbish. No, the rubbish amazing. stuff is the rubbish stuff is left for people to write about on Insta oh, on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, look, we should we digress slightly, but the, uh, the the whole idea of this conversation is that you are a chiropractor in Melbourne, and let's not try and timestamp this too much about the fact that we're well, you're in the middle of a global well, you can't be in the middle of a global pandemic if you're the only city currently in curfew is there any other city in curfew around the world at the moment oh uh i, I don't know actually i haven't um don't think that would help me if i started looking and realizing we were the only one i'm i'm <laughs> i'm a little i'm a little insular i'm just sort of realizing that we, i know we are and i don't i know nowhere else in australia really is but i'm not really sure if anywhere i think new zealand's not not really yeah. very open either but yeah, I don't know. To be honest, that's it. So I've, I've gotten a bit bored with it. I'm sick of it. Yeah, look, and, and to be honest, I don't even want to focus in on that because I mean, it's it's something that's going to pass, and uh, you know, just hang in there, mate. And uh, like London, um, we're sort of popped out the other side, and you know, by the mercy of whoever, we stay as a sort of relatively normal society. Although it's still not 100 percent back, obviously. But look, mate, look. I wanted to sort of tap into Cairo stuff. We obviously studied together for five years between 1990 and 1995. Um, We've had uh, a journey of Cairo career that has passed um, passed sort of crossed paths numerous times. And Mm -hmm. that was like, you know, we, we kind of worked together in Australia you were in the UK for a bit. You came back to Australia. We ended up working together in the practice for three years in Putney, which is kind of why it's appropriate that you get involved in this whole thing anyway and the fact that you have first-hand knowledge of uh, the operation that we have. And But I kind of wanted to tap into because I know like for a, for an age, maybe even I seem to remember you even got the – prize for chiropractic philosophy back in chiropractic is that right chiropractic college i think they called it chiropractic science but i'm not sure 
I mean, ironically, for a uh, institution that didn't really teach you any chiropractic philosophy, they definitely wouldn't have had a award called chiropractic philosophy. They didn't believe there was a chiropractic philosophy, but I got an award, yes, called chiropractic science, which I I don't know what that award means, really, in all honesty. I, I mean, it's very easy to understand what an award for radiology is yeah. or an award for general academic excellence, but yes, anyway. But my understanding is, and especially since the you know the journey you've taken since, is that you've always been pretty passionate about the origins of chiropractic and the philosophy behind allowing someone's body to function optimally through improving their nervous system function, right? And well, to be honest, no, carry on. Yes. Well, I mean, this is the whole. This is this is why I say it's ironic. When I graduated, I did receive that award and I'm, I'm deadly serious when I say I don't really know what that chiropractic science award really means because I wasn't like that when I graduated. I was I was fairly cynical, sort of. Uh, I hadn't grown up in a family that we all went to the chiropractor for our regular visits. Uh, I, You know, I didn't really know much about what I was doing. I'd heard you know, the philosophy behind it, you hear mutterings and talkings. I never was one of those people that attended any sort of outside additional sort of chiropractic educational seminars or guest speakers. I wasn't really into it. I sort of had this very uh, – uni was one part of my life and then I just had all my friends and was doing other stuff for the rest of the, my time. And to be honest with you, I graduated with someone who, as someone who really probably had no idea what I was doing other than, well, it's a way to deal with back and neck pain that doesn't involve uh, drugs or surgery. And that's really probably, in the all honest truth, where I graduated and also why I faced a crisis in the first couple of years after graduating of real, of wondering what I just sort of spent five years doing when I was not enjoying what I was doing in the real world. Interesting, because I, uh, I thought... You may, not, you, I may you... Not, I may not have ever, ever told you that, which is, there you go. But uh, you had a fairly strong mentor through the whole process, though, right, in Kerry Sissons, right? Well, I had a mentor. Well, I never spoke to Kerry on a regular basis, but Kerry was, uh, she's a chiropractor who practices in the UK in Oxfordshire, and she was my next door neighbor. She was the reason I became a chiropractor because I saw her doing, uh, adjusting my mother when I was 18 or something. And that got me interested. So she, we didn't spend a lot of time together in the subsequent years because she went, lived more or less straight away, I believe in the UK, if I remember correctly. So I never really saw her. Um, mm. and then okay. I went through university and I didn't have really any strong mentorship there, but I did. Just to finish what I started is I, I had my first couple of years in practice and I didn't really feel like I wasn't growing as a chiropractor in, in many ways at all, to be honest. I was probably wilting, if anything, and I was I was really not sure whether I wanted to be a chiropractor. And then I went, came over to the UK and I um, wrote a letter to a number of different practices and said, I'm coming over if anyone needs to. Uh, have a locum and one, one person said they did of all these letters and, uh, she became my mentor 100%. Uh, Kimberly Furness, a lot of people, well, I don't know who listens to this, but people would, uh, 
people that are chiropractors, certainly in Australia, would know her and many in the UK. Kimberly Furness, I started working with her. I did a locum, then she asked me back to work, and that really, that's when the whole, uh, that, that's when the lights got switched on. Right. So it was actually, so when you're working in the Hexham practice in, um, just in from Newcastle, that's when you really got an insight as to how chiropractic could be. And that was yeah, a pretty um, strong family practice, wasn't it? Yeah. Very strong family practice. So it was a tiny practice physically at the time. It was, uh, very small. Um, it expanded in, and whilst I was there in terms of physically expanded and expanded in terms of numbers of, practitioners as well um but yeah absolutely it was Kimberly grew up she did what I hadn't had done she had grown up in the family that went to the chiropractor on a regular basis from a from from a young age I think she knew she wanted to be a chiropractor and there was just no doubt in her mind about you know what you're doing and how, how much you can influence people. And uh, one weekend they dragged me along with them to a conference and it was it was run by a lady who's recently passed away, sadly, called Nairi Cannon. Oh, and yeah. uh, Nairi had a reputation for being a fantastic educator of chiropractic assistants. She was a chiropractic assistant. Her husband was a chiropractor and – she ran seminars that were for chiropractic assistants, but also for entire practice teams. And they dragged me along to one of those. And then the lights really got switched on. And from there onwards, ever since, thankfully, I haven't gone back in terms of my mindset about chiropractic. So maybe it's appropriate for you to then to sort of maybe describe to me or us like, you know, what's what is that ideal sort of interaction you have with a patient or a client, whatever you want to call them, when they come in the door? Is it like uh, obviously you've sort of already stated that you kind of feel like when you graduated two years in, you were like a bit disheartened that all you had to offer someone was some sort of relief from their back pain in three visits or something, right? So, but but what what really makes you get out of bed at six o'clock in the morning and drive forty five minutes to your second practice? To, to do what you do? Well, now, 30 years on, 25 years in practice on, to be honest, I love what I do because I just love interacting with people and I'm a people person and that's what I love doing. I just couldn't face sitting at a computer screen all day and never more so than right now am I hearing so many people um, you know, working from home and working in that computer-facing job, uh, obviously it's super tough for people in those sort of industries and I just couldn't ever do that, you know. So what gets me up and going is the fact that I know I'm going to talk to people at the other end of it, uh, love to chat, love to listen, which is also a very important skill, I think, in life. Um, yeah, but I think you'd love to inspire people to sort of be their best. Oh, and stuff I do, too, I right? do. I do. No, exactly, exactly. I love to... I love to inspire people, take them along on a journey, let them understand that, you know, the body is, has got amazing abilities to heal and recover from anything. Um, it, it can recover from anything because sometimes recovery may not look exactly as you think recovery will look. So 
can always recover to some degree or to a large degree or even to a small degree, but there's always hope and optimism that people can go along a journey or a pathway to improvement. And that's what inspires me and gets me out the door every day. And so it doesn't matter if I'm seeing people that are, um, that are just tripping along with, you know, like jumping along with just regular checkup type adjustments or people that are going through significant physical or, or otherwise hard times. I just love trying to help people and, like you said, inspire them, but also, but yeah, I like, I like, you know, offering empathy and I think I just naturally like doing that. I, I'm, I'm naturally interested in people, naturally interested in wanting to remember or, or in remembering a conversation from the last time I saw them and being able to, without writing any notes about it, bring up that conversation the next time I see them, whether it's in one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks or six weeks, I'm, nearly always able to just bring up the last conversation and, and follow up and ask them about it or continue it on. And, and that really helps in terms of people wanting you to be their practitioner. Because it's funny, you know, when I asked this question, I was, I was anticipating you almost sort of getting a little bit more philosophical about things with regards to sort of, you know, chiropractic and health and, and well-being and all that sort of stuff. But, but in fact, it, it, it's gone to a slightly different route whereby you're talking about the fact that your caring just can't be turned off or, you know, you, you exactly. I'll just love it. I love going to work and seeing the people. I mean, it's gone through a, I'm on like, it's a journey, but being a chiropractor, your career is a journey as well. And I think what you're alluding to Craig is absolutely. There's been times where I've been, you know, like, like metaphorically the person who'd be standing on the, on the dais out at, is it called Speaker's Corner in Hyde Park or wherever it is? <laughs> yeah, Speaker's yeah, Corner I'd at the top like, of Marble Arch I'd be, there. Yeah, I'd be like that guy standing up there going, chiropractic is an amazing thing for you to all do. You should get your spines checked. You'll be healthier. You'll be, you, you'll function more closely to what your potential is. You, I've been like that, but yeah. I just think I'm less like that now in a vocal outward way. I am still inwardly. But yes, I think now I'm, right now it's more just about the fact that I just love being, I love interacting with the people and offering the care. And the care is more, way, way more than just the hands on. It's just, you know, people need, they, people struggle in life, I think, to find practitioners that go the extra mile other than just see them for the appointment and don't think a moment about them until the next time they come in to the appointment. And yeah, I've got a new, I've got a, a new graduate who works with me. And I think that if you asked him, tell me the five things Michael harps on the most about to you, he would never, he would not say it's about philosophy. He would say that would be in the top five. Sorry. But I reckon he'd say the number one thing is he's, he harps on about the fact that you have to, go above and beyond in your level of care and connection with people in order for those people to really get the best results and also to really get yeah, for them to get the best results and in turn for them to stay wanting to come and see you. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, when you spent your time with Putney, I 
kind of got the impression, I think, that, uh, you know, Putney's always been an interesting place with regards to sort of dynamics of people working in there, right? Especially when it's a clinic where there's always been four or five practitioners in there and there's always a bit of a melting pot of people and their focuses on what's important, right? And I think when you were there, you were obviously had come from five years of running your own practice, doing your own thing. And then you came and worked within a group where you weren't the boss. Um, and I think it was a bit of a challenge sometimes to actually get the, you know, to kind of feel comfortable in that environment, right? And um, But I always thought that was a little bit to do with, you know, Putney being a little bit too more focused in on the pain and the sort of like, you know, and, and not, not the classic Kimberly Furness family practice type of thing. Uh, or am yeah. I barking up the wrong tree? No, I think there was a number of things at play, and I think you touched on them uh, accurately, you know, to, to some degree. Yeah, I think that there was it was it was a little bit of maybe my mindset about what I do, what what chiropractic is and stands for, and the way that I felt Patney was um, uh, putting its vision out to the world weren't exactly the same. They well weren't that similar, but I think that I think that. My main challenges when I was at Putney was going from um, someone who created the created the direction and just got people to come along on that journey in the direction I wanted it to go to someone who wasn't creating the direction and it was a bigger team. So when there's a bigger team, if it's not all aligned and all sort of incentivized and motivated in the same direction, it doesn't really all go in the same direction. And yeah. that was more it was just more of a struggle at first for me to get used to that. And if I'm brutally honest with you, towards the right. I was there three years, wasn't I? Probably towards yeah. the uh second and third year, in some ways I sort of gave up and thought there is no point the team at Putney is the team at Putney. It's not the team that – it's not what I once created in Melbourne, in Vita. It's a different thing. And uh, give up trying to change it and just give up basically and just go to work and do your best and enjoy living in Europe. And that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so, you know, so, and, and you know what? It, it was fantastic to be honest with you. I I mean, I, I, I wouldn't – I don't think that I'll go through the rest of my career without uh, – like I'll always own my own practice, I think, now. I've done it twice. And uh, hmm. I think if I weigh everything up, the the fact that you never really turn off your bit you, – you're always thinking about it when you own it. I still feel like being in that situation suits me better than walking in and working for someone and leaving and not really thinking much about the business beyond when I leave. Um, yeah. There are – I mean, I did find that a real, like, rejuvenator at the time when I was in the UK because, like I said, I I guess I just uh, was able to fully switch off when I wasn't in the practice, and that was fantastic. But, um, you know, it, you know, everything has its uh, pros and its cons. <laughs> no, look, I get it. And uh, I... I... It, it you obviously you know the statement as well is that you you then went back to Melbourne and straight away set up your own practice and you got straight back into it and you've done great things ever since. Well, so yeah, well I was I was actually going to go back and 
um, by uh, 50%, well, 50% of the old practice I had off the person who bought it off me and I was going to go back in there and, um, you know, that just – that was interesting because if you want to talk about um, me being someone who's got a fairly strong chiropractic philosophy, when I had my original practice in Melbourne, it was chiropractic and that was it, you know, like – I probably had 10 things on the shelf people could buy, you know, a couple of essential nutrients and well, I say essential, a couple of nutrients, some immune stuff, but probably 10 things in total. And there was just chiropractic being offered. And then I came, when the person I bought it, sold it to was a naturopath before he was a chiropractor. And when I came back, it was just such a different feel in there. It was, it was a lot more of a nutritional feel. Um, it didn't. It, it just felt very different, and that's not saying it felt. It was worse. It was just different. So yeah, yeah. I fairly quickly realised that this didn't. Um, this didn't suit me. And now I'm back in my. Like you said, I've got a, another practice, and I have about ten things on the shelf, and um, I only offer chiropractic. <laughs> the full circle. I'm pretty sure, by the way, that, uh, that you know the reason why you just kind of turned off there towards the end of Putney is because you're obviously unhappy with the management style of a certain Drew Martin running the show anyway, right? Oh, oh don't get me started on that bloke. Does anyone know who he is? No, surely not. You haven't, oh you haven't, you haven't, you haven't patched him in on this call, have you? Um, <laughs> No, it's a like purely a, a sort of a, 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 a sort of a plug in there just to see if he actually even listens to these things. But uh, we'll we'll just sort of lay that one low and see what happens. Well, actually, he, he's he's to blame for why I'm sitting in a car driving for 45 minutes because when I came back to Melbourne, for people that may not know Drew, Drew's a, the six foot seven um, Melbourne boy who's been in the UK forever and a day, but still sounds like the ultimate Aussie. And just is the ultimate Aussie. He, uh, he managed Hutney and now I think he manages Cairo London as a group. And, yeah. um, I'm now, I'm now driving out to work on a Wednesday in his little suburb, 50 minutes from where I live to basically see all of his family and his extended family and all of their mates. And, uh, obviously it's grown more than just that, but they, they, effectively said, we're not going to keep driving to you. You have to drive to us. And um, <laughs> that's what happened. Yeah. But, you know, therein lies your passion for the, for the, for the game. So, well done. Uh, and just whilst, before we just move on from Drew, none of them can actually believe that he's got a job of responsibility, that, that he would have a job that has the term manager in it. None of them think that he possibly do that and um they're probably right (laughs) well the only thing i can say though is that in his defense uh is that since the 23rd of march when the sort of lockdown really went bonkers over here um i'm pretty sure he hasn't taken a day off you know um and you know talk about someone who just like owns and takes responsibility for things um yeah, I think he's surprising probably a lot of his family by some of the actions he's taken during that time, you know. But, you know, we couldn't do it without him. So, uh, yeah. Maybe, uh, mate, mate. I think that uh, within, within his um, 
little group in the family, for some reason, he's he's known as Doc. And now I think he's known as Doc because there was a, a lead singer of an Australian rock band in about the 80s called Doc Martin, um, <laughs> the Angels, and – I don't know why, but oh, they yeah. call they just know him as Doc. So maybe, maybe, maybe he's got that future as the chiropractor in front of him, and he'll literally be the Doc Martin. That would be amazing if he did that whole. <laughs> well, he is, I think, pretty much. I'm pretty sure he's intending to try and get the sort of Cairo London group to sort of self managing itself, and he can just sort of, you know, maybe focus on his sunset. true calling. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Well, hey, uh, but look, going back to, I mean, you you kind of diverted the conversation slightly away from the whole BJ Palmer, DD Palmer, the founders of chiropractic thing, right? I mean, do you do you still have any fascination and respect for the history of the profession now, or it's kind of faded a little yeah, bit? Or yeah. Oh, it hasn't faded. I don't. I don't. Um, I don't read much of it like I used to read. I used to read. Uh, you know reasonably frequently the um, books and, you know, things that were written back in 1910 and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I don't spend as much time – or I don't spend time doing that now. But, yeah, no, I absolutely still have um, – oh, yeah. fundamentally I still have – I'm still grounded or, or connected to that whole philosophy that the human body – is more than at some of its parts. There is an energy. There is a, yeah, there is a basically an energy within it, which, you know, can be called many things. We tend to call that, um, innate intelligence or that energy or that controlling, overriding controlling system. Other people call it homeostasis. Uh, various different terms, but ultimately they, they didn't come up with it. I think it existed before Palmer, Palmer's. They just came up with the fact that the spine can influence the entire energetic and uh, healing potential of the human body because the spine is so closely related to the actual nervous system, the brain and the, and the spinal cord and the exiting nerves. What I am more interested in now, Craig, is I love reading things about health and well-being and how the spine can influence health and well-being. But in more mod, I'm more interested in, say, current research that's being done and reading about the impact of, well, not just even about the spine, to be honest. I'm just interested in general about the human body and how it can heal and, uh, and recover from so many different various things through uh, natural means, really. So I, I guess it's still a thing, though, when someone walks through your front door where not everyone, obviously, on the planet is thinking like that. Um, I think Aussies get a slightly better rap about the whole, whole idea of living a slightly healthier lifestyle than, than some around the planet due to the outdoors life and all that sort of stuff. But is that still a daily conversation you have, I guess, whereby someone who's brand new presents themselves to you with some sort of pain or health challenge and then you've got to sort of help them understand yeah, maybe help. your way of thinking, right? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, as, as, as I said a little bit earlier in our chat, 
you cha- I change. I have changed dramatically over the 25 years that I've been practicing how I will explain it. And I change from day to day. I've definitely never been someone who, you know, tries to memorize a uh, script, so to speak. You know, I, I don't have like key bullet points that I've written down that I know I've got to like tick the box to know that I've discussed them with someone. I don't have, I'm, I'm very freewheeling in my conversation with people. And again, I think the experience of 25 years is I make a judgment as to where someone's at and what they are interested in hearing. This is certainly in the beginning I'm talking about. And then I'll mm. just tailor my level of conversation, my depth of, um, depth of the conversation or the topic of the conversation according to me making a judgment as to where they're at. Because the last thing I want to do, you know, something that I've, sorry, divert my thought for a moment here, something that I did, did, like I've done things in practice over the years because I've been told that that's what you should do to succeed in practice by people that have been chiropractic uh, gurus or coaches or whatever you want to call They help chiropractors do their work. And I've done things that they said I should do that then when I stopped and sort of reflected on it, I put myself in the shoes of a person coming to see me and I thought, well, if I was the practice member or the patient or whatever you want to call them sitting in front of the chiropractor, I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't want him doing what he's doing to me. Uh, I wouldn't want that to happen to me. And then I thought, well, I can't do that anymore. So I've sort of just, I, I really just try and treat people as I would like them to be, as I would like to be treated. You know, once upon yeah. a time, if someone came to see me, and if they were in a fair degree of pain, wouldn't matter. I, I wouldn't touch them on that first visit. I wouldn't adjust them. I, yeah. I, I think I started to, at some point in time, realize I'm heart on heart, hand on heart. I don't think I'd enjoy that if that happened to me, no matter how, unless it was like a life or death situation where I needed a test done because I could like be killed if something, if I didn't have that test done and they did something. Um, yeah. I realized, well, I didn't, wouldn't want that done to me. So I, yeah, I'm very, I'm very different to maybe how you once viewed me, and that's fine. I think I've just just evolved and constantly changes and moved through through my career. But I do always bring up this is to answer your original question. I do always bring up the bigger picture of health, function, self healing, human potential. Um, yeah those topics of conversation it's just a matter of when i bring them up some people never get a chance to bring them up they might not come they might not stay coming in long enough because i don't want to introduce them to it on day one or two and they for whatever reason don't reach day three let's be honest about this but for a lot of people it comes in gradually and subtly over time no it's good you know because uh i think um what any practitioner as you say could really learn a lot from that whole sort of 25-year journey that you've gone through of like trying to do all sorts of things over 25 years. But what it's come down to is the idea if you just, you know, pick up the phone when you haven't seen someone for a while and say, hey, genuinely, how are you doing? Um, That's a pretty unique situation that you don't get from any other practitioner, right? 
Yeah, well, my, my staff and my, and my associate and I, we do what we, we term it in our office, a care call. And I say to my staff, the objective of a care call is that you care. End of story. You're not calling them for any other reason. You're not calling them because they haven't been in to try to start a conversation that leads them to go, you know what, I think I should come back. It's not your objective. It could be a side product. Um, and we, we, we look for reasons to do a care call. We will do it. We look for reasons. The reason would be when we, cause you've got to be a good listener. And if someone says, Oh, you know, my dog's, um, my dog's been really sick lately. We've been to the vet four times. Got to go back on Thursday because it's, um, might need to have surgery. Well, guess what? We schedule a care call on Friday. And it doesn't always even have to be a call. Sometimes it can be an SMS, although it is better to be a call. But, uh, and we will call on Thursday, on Friday and say, you know, just wondered how did you end up going, getting on at the vet with your dog? And people like, they just, they, I don't think people can believe it's, they, they go, what? Yeah, I don't think they can believe that someone would do that. But, um, mm. There's no doubt that that gives me a great sense of joy doing that and hearing about when my front desk staff do it and they tell me, you know, oh, so-and-so gave them a, we did a care call and this is what, blah, blah, blah. They tell me the outcome. I, I absolutely love it. It, it really makes me happy when I hear that they're being done. It's, it's such a good, it's, I don't know if you want to call it a strategy or just like a ethos, I guess it is, within the clinic or within in practice in general is yeah. – to, because it doesn't have to be done by the chiropractor every time. Sometimes people just like a chat with the CA or the front desk and just kind of know that someone's there, right? And, and you know, I think if you've got like 300 people that you're trying to care for all at the same time, it's, it's, it's very difficult to sort of pick up the phone and do it 300 times. But as you say, if it's just that really important thing picked up on, yeah. especially during this kind of crazy time of people being stuck at home or, or, or whatever – uh, it's definitely appreciated. Um, and, you know, we've still got a pile of people that we still haven't seen, even though, you know, in theory we've been out of lockdown for two or three months now, um, yeah. that we are yeah. still in contact with on the phone. And I think they really appreciate that, you know. So, but yeah, well, that doesn't have to be a COVID-only thing, right? No, it no, it shouldn't be a COVID-only thing at all. I mean, it's not a COVID thing in our practice. It's just a general thing. But... I mean, I think it's especially important in COVID because, um, yeah, because people are more isolated and many people are isolated without, well, like really isolated, like they live on their own. So, yeah, we, uh, even people that are booked in, I mean, our state of play here in Melbourne, and I don't, I know you didn't want to date this podcast, but our state of play here in Melbourne is that we've, um, been, instructed to limit the people that we see as chiropractors and there's criteria as to whether people can come for your service. So there's a number of people that aren't coming in but are booked at the first opportunity beyond when the current restrictions are due to end. But mm. we we are still communicating. So they've already got an appointment. They know We know they're coming in. They know they're coming in. Well, they might have forgotten, but they'll remember when they get a reminder. And yeah. We're still calling them through this period of time just to check in with them. So we 100% know they're not coming in, but we're calling them anyway. Yeah. 
And and yeah. I mean, obviously, because um, you know, because people are going to be listening to this podcast in about a decade from now, and so they're going to be very worried about the fact that we've timestamped this with the COVID discussion, right? Yeah, except it's got nothing to do with COVID. Doing like this, <laughs> I mean, really, in 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 this in this conversation, I don't think um, the time of the time that we're in makes any difference. The fact that we're in the middle of this, you know, virus yeah. situation, because really, I don't think I've talked about anything in this conversation that's, you know. To yeah, do with the, the particular time we're in, they're just general yeah, topics. Around, it's it's uh, not going to go out of date. We've spoken a lot about like caring for people and all that sort of stuff, but I think we should just go back to sort of um, a little bit more of maybe in summarising the whole thing. Uh, Twenty-five years of being a chiropractor. It was pretty cool that we had um, the pre-lockdown reunion happening. Uh, for our 25 years of some pretty awesome chiropractors getting together in Melbourne in February this year. You um, you remember that? <laughs> I do. It was virtually the last time that we uh, felt a degree of normality. It was the last time that the uh, press didn't um, start every day with a headline around COVID-19. Um, Unbelievable. And, uh, I wouldn't mind that. Wouldn't mind those days again. If I had have known, put it this way, if I hadn't known what was about to happen, I would have had an all-nighter. <laughs> <laughs> we we did sneak out early. Uh, it was only twenty minutes early, but we did leave early. But the um, no, I, I, was, I definitely would have been up at eight a.m. the next day. Wouldn't have gone to bed if I had known what was about to come. Yeah. Hey, but what about the? Uh, it's pretty awesome that uh, tw- about fifty people turned up of the seventy-five that we had in our year. And there were quite a few stories of people who had had these like twenty-five-year journeys as well. Hey, so that was cool. Yeah, it was really interesting. Um, I've uh, dined out ever since on the fact that one of our one of our mates, uh, after he graduated and practiced for a year or two or three or whatever, he went back and studied medicine, and then he um, finished his medical course. Then he went and did a specialty in, and he's an anaesthetist, and uh, he still maintains his chiropractic registration because he said. He's not going to give that up. He worked too hard to get it. He worked way harder to get that than he worked to get his medical degree. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess you haven't managed to get him along for a game of footy either yet. Did you actually – did I ever tell you that he told me that on the night? Yeah. No, I remember you did. Um, Yeah, I couldn't believe it. I thought he was actually taking – I thought he was actually joking, but he was genuinely serious. He said, nah, the medical course – was actually a lot easier. Now that could be just because he was older, more mature, and he already had the education of his chiropractic under his belt. But uh, anyway, he definitely he definitely uh, maintains maintains himself as a registered chiropractor, working in a hospital as an anaesthetist. Very good. May look well. Look, thanks yes. for sharing your commuting journey with us today. Uh, I hope someone's going to listen to it at some point. Um, uh, you know, send well, it to your I'm wife. Sure I'm sure she'll I'm... she'll love to uh, hear your um, philosophical intake on the uh, world. My wife, uh, my wife quotes that a group of chiropractors is arguably the most boring group of people in the world to ever get together. So I'm pretty sure she won't be listening <laughs> to it. So <laughs> she's always she's always been one to uh, always been one to you know 
promote the profession strongly like that. Oh, you chiropractors are so boring. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> well, probably, on that note, mate, probably, I'll let you... She's, uh, pro- she's, she's, she's probably right. Um, yes, <laughs> lovely to chat. Right. Yeah, well, if she makes it all the way to the end of 45 minutes of conversation uh, on the commute, uh, she'll be doing very well. But, uh, mate, thanks for she joining. Won't, she, uh, she, won't, she, she, won't, she won't even start it. Thank you. <laughs>